Well, we are in Numbers today. We've got a long passage, chapter 22, 23, and 24. And I've put the title down. There were many funny titles we could have had for this, if you know the passage. I've gone with Almost There, because we are nearly at the promised land. Israelites are nearly, nearly there. You'll know they journeyed for around 40 years. We are maybe four or five months away from the promised land here, from going into Canaan, just weeks away. If it was the run-up to Christmas, we'd be excited. It's that close. Now, we're going to read some verses together. We're not going to read all three chapters of the Bible, don't worry, and they should be coming up on the screen. First few verses are in chapter 22, and I haven't bothered to bring my Bible up, so I'm going to read them off the screen here. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw that all Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, the son of Beor, who was at Pithor, near the Euphrates River, in his native land. Now, we're jumping on a bit here. Balak said, A people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that whatever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. Now we're jumping on a bit more here. Balaam spoke his message. He said, Balak brought me from Aram, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse those who God has not cursed? Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies. You have done nothing but bless them. He answered, must I not speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? I know that God blesses his word when we read it together. Now, a lengthy passage, so you should see a little agenda popping up on the screen in a minute. Let me try and walk you through what I want to do today. I'm going to give a very, very brief summary and overview of where we're up to so we have the context of the verses we've read. The main part of our sermon, we look at chapter 22 and we look at the story, we'll introduce Balaam and we'll talk about this man in the Bible. Then in chapters 23 and 24, we'll think of the four prophecies that Balaam spoke. And if we have time, which will be a bigger miracle than the miracle we read about in the scriptures today, if we have time, we will think about Balaam in the New Testament at the end. I doubt very much that will happen. And you will notice that we have a verse on the bottom here. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. When I read this passage, I was a bit like, oh, long passage, difficult passage. Matt even said, ah, he's given you the one with the talking donkey. <laughs> Whereas last time I preached, Stuart and, and Joel, oh, lovely passage, great passage. And I stopped and I thought, hey, don't doubt God's word. Don't make it about me or about the sermon or about the passage. God's word is given for a purpose, isn't it? We can get things from this passage as much as any other passage 
in the Bible. And so I want to be really practical today. I know we've got some of the younger ones in from Sunday school. Hopefully, we're going to pick out some lessons from the events that took place with the Israelites, and we're going to apply them. And maybe for all of us, we might go into this new week ahead with some takeaway points, practical things that we can do. How do we live for God better? How do we be better Christians? How do we glorify God? Now, the next slide shows us a very brief, where, where are we at? Three big camps kind of mentioned in, in the journeys of the Israelites. So Mount Sinai, you remember Mount Sinai? Moses goes up, receives the law. And what do the people do within 40 days? They've built the golden calf and they're worshiping an idol. And so that camp was marked by idolatry. What a failure from the Israelites, eh? And then we have another big place of camping. We have Kadesh, mentioned many, many times on the journey. Kadesh is an important place, and maybe the biggest one is, you know, the spies that went out, and the 10 of them came back and went, we'll never take it. We'll never, they're, they're, they're huge, they're massive, and they're giants, and, we, and you know, they were, they were marked really in that place by unbelief and rebellion. God promised them it, and they wouldn't take the promise of God. And here we are, right on the very edge of going into the land, and we're at the plains of Moab, a prolonged camp here from the Israelites. And we're going to see how today they are marked by opposition from a king called Balak and an evil man called Balaam. So that's where we're up to. Nearly there, 39 and a half years into this journey, and they're nearly, nearly there. So Numbers 22, it begins with this verse that you should be seeing on your screen any minute now, excellent. The Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. They are nearly there. Oh, imagine all those years traveling, nearly there. Well, we, we're introduced to King Balak. King Balak, I think we'll have the next slide for. Sorry, I, I'll apologize, I'm gonna be communicating with Paul a bit as well because I didn't bother writing out all my slides for Paul, so my apologies. This King Balak, he knew that God was at work when he saw the Israelites. Now, we read about how he felt. He was terrified when he saw the Israelites coming and camping on the plains of Moab. He'd probably never seen the Israelites before, but he had heard for sure. These were people whose fame spread as they traveled, maybe two and a half million and they're moving along from place to place. They were famous as the people who didn't even lift up a sword, and they came out of the slavery of Egypt. And they were famous as being the people who walked through sea on dry land, and God brought the waves crashing in on their enemies. And they were famous as being the people who went from place to place. They weren't really a great military force, but God blessed them, and God delivered their enemies. God was with them. The evidence of God was seen in these people, his people. God was at work. I think, Paul, if we have the, the next slide, please. There we go. So here's a challenge, a practical challenge for us all if we're Christians today. In my life, do people see that God is at work and in your life? So, so maybe with your team at work, if you're a manager, the people that you manage, if you're a subordinate, the people that, that you work for, do your neighbors in your street, do the people that you live with, your family, do your friends, did they see Jesus in you? Because these people here, this King Balak, he saw God at work when the Israelites moved, and it should be for us. And the Lord Jesus, well, he tells us that the church, Christians, we are salt and we are light. 
we are salt and light. And you might think, that's a strange, strange thing to be. I think of myself as more than salt and light. Well, salt preserves and salt enhances. And the Lord Jesus says that we are, you know, in this world, we have the Spirit of God within us. We are here, and the Holy Spirit through us is preserving. And we should be enhancing our communities and our friendship groups and our families with, with the presence of God. And we are light. You know, we should be beacons for Jesus. We should be shining out the good news of the gospel. He saved me. He transformed me. I was dead and he's made me alive. And there's a really easy challenge for us all just from reading these few verses here. Are people seeing in you and in me and in our church family, are they seeing the reality that God is at work amongst us? I hope that's true. And then next point that we're going to see is that this king, Balak, he was terrified. Here is a king living in fear. Oh, the Israelites are coming. They're camping on the plains of Moab. It's going to be dreadful. And, and we read the verses, the, the really descriptive language. He says, they'll be like wild oxes. They'll lick up everything from the land and they'll come in and they'll destroy us just like they've destroyed everybody else. He was a man gripped with fear. He needn't have been. God had told the people, you're not going that way. You're not going to destroy that. You're not going to go in. There was nothing for him to worry about at all. He was living in unnecessary fear. Second practical question then. Are we living in fear? Are we as Christians living in fear? The Bible says that God's perfect love casts out fear. We sometimes feel that we are with worries and cares and concerns and anxiety. Now, I'm not talking about you know, real mental health issues here. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we keep our burdens within us. There's an old hymn that we used to sing at our old church, and you probably know it. And it says, oh, what peace we often forfeit, and oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And sometimes as Christians, we can be at our wits' ends, can't we? We can be living in fear of the unknown, of the climate around us, the uncertainty of what's going on in the world. And it, it is, it, it's fearful and it's awful. And, and yet, do we tell the Lord how we feel? Do we bring it to him? Younger ones as well in the room, you know, you might just be little. God wants to hear how you feel. Older ones, God wants to hear how you feel. Are we open with him and honest with him? Lord, I'm terrible at this at the minute. I need your help. Lord, I'm scared of these things going on in my life. I need your help. Do we bring it to God and do we pray? And Philippians tells us, do it with prayer and with thanksgiving. And the peace of God can guard our hearts and our minds. Here's a man living in fear. Now, King Balak makes a knee-jerk reaction. He does something he shouldn't really have done. Instead of seeking counsel in God, who he didn't know, and instead of seeking counsel from Moses, the man of God, he took unwise counsel, knee-jerk reaction. He sent for this man, Balaam. Balaam will be the man, really, who takes up most of our sermon today. Balaam was a man whose name, even today, casts an awful shadow over the history of Israel awful man never mentioned in good terms in the bible and if we do get time at the end 
There are three references in the New Testament that really attest to us how bad this man was. Everything about him is lifted up in his example. Don't be like Balaam. Balaam was a man who, sometimes he's called like a soothsayer, uh, a false prophet. He could see things, he could know things, he could say things, and he was like a gun for hire. If you paid him, he'd come and he'd deliver you something. King Balak, he sends for Balaam. He took unwise counsel. What about us as a church? So here's another practical question. I think it might be coming up on the screen. Do we counsel each other? Now, I don't mean, you know, Dr. Fraser Crane, I am listening, sitting together on a chair, head back, clipboard. Do we counsel? I don't mean that necessarily, and, and we couldn't, we can do that, and that's good. Do we, as a church, foster that society amongst us that we can talk openly and freely, and we can share, and we can help each other? Now, I think we do, to an extent. And I want to say what a blessing it's been to me these past two years to be here at Regent. And even without knowing it, people like Bolu and people like Ethan, people like Andy, they've given me great counsel. Not necessarily massive big problems, although sometimes that's the case. And I can't begin to start with Lucy for Deborah, the counsel that we get from other people that we can look up to as godly Christians and we can turn to them for help. And times when... Matt and I have prayed in the back garden in the freezing cold at 11 o'clock at night, and we've had counsel. Hey, it's amazing. We as the people of God should be counseling and helping and supporting each other. And, and so there's a challenge. Is the environment that you're adding to helping people to come to you for counsel? And are you giving it to others? Are we encouraging each other as a church? Because we need it, right? Every one of us in the room will have struggles and cares and concerns without fail. And we need to foster that environment of openness and honesty and not of judgment, helping each other, loving each other, putting our arms around one another as a family and saying we are here to counsel each other. It's a great thing. And of course, we have the greatest counselor of all, don't we, in the Lord Jesus. And the Bible reminds us, uh, I think, Paul, sorry, if you jump back one, one little screen. You want to be wise, take counsel from the Lord. So find people in church who you trust and who you love and who you respect. Maybe older people, people with a bit of experience, people you look up to, and find in them good, wise counsel. It would have been great for King Balak if he had done just that. Thank you, Paul. I've got you on your toes here today, haven't I? Tricking you with all these. Oh, the donkey. We'll come to the donkey in a minute. So King Balak sends for Balaam. Maybe 400 miles his men travel. A big entourage of men, they go to Balaam. And they say, as we read in the, at the start, can you come and, and curse these Israelites because we want them defeated and King, King Balak wants to defeat them. And Balaam, you might think, oh, he was a very godly man. Balaam says, stay the night. I'm going to seek the Lord's will. What a godly man. What a spiritual thing to say. What a good man Balaam must have been. And in the night, God says, categorically, unequivocally, absolutely, no, do not go with those men. They are my people, and I've blessed them, and I've promised myself to them, and I've covenanted them forever. 
don't you curse them. And in the morning, Balaam says to the men, God says, no, can't come. And so with their tail between their legs, 400 miles back to King Balak. But he won't take no for an answer. And so more men, greater men, better men, more important men, go back another 400 miles to Balaam. Balak wants you to come and curse the people. Ah, uh, well, just stay the night and I'll pray and I'll seek the will of God. Oh, what a godly man. Isn't he great? This Balak, eh? He inquires of the Lord again. The Lord permits him to go. Now, is this God changing his mind? No. Is this God giving his little nod to Balaam? Go and, go and curse those people. No. Is this God leading Balaam back to, to curse? No, 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 no. Definitely, definitely not. Balaam had, had a direct revelation from God. Don't go. They're my people. They're important people. They're blessed people. Don't go and curse them. And yet God here permits it. He permits this man to go down a route that God has categorically said, do not go down. Now we get a similar thing in Romans chapter 1. The book of Romans unfolds to us and explains the gospel, the good news about Jesus. The mechanics of how it works, what it does for us. And the backdrop of that is that everybody is a sinner. And that's how chapter 1 kind of starts. And there's a big long list of awful sins. And, oh, it's not a very nice reading. And thinking of all those sins, the Apostle Paul writes as God directs him, because these people knew the truth of God and they just turned it into a lie. They turned their back on it. They knew what was right and they made it wrong. And they knew what was wrong and they made it right. And Paul says, so God gave them up to their vile affections. On you go. They knew what God wanted. And they turned their back on God and said, we don't want that God. We're going our own way. And that's exactly what Balaam did here. He knew what God wanted. And in his mind and in his heart, not interested. I'm going my way. I have a Christian friend, and I asked this Christian friend if I could share their story anonymously today, because some of you will know this Christian. A Christian that I think we would all respect and say is a godly person, and we could look up to. And they said they were happy for me to share this experience if it would bring a blessing to anybody here today. And, and this Christian was praying for something in their life. We talk about pushing on doors sometimes, don't we? Lord, would you just take me this way? Lord, I really want this. And there was something that they, they were praying for. They were asking the Lord, and they were getting the answer back. No. And one night, this friend awoke to no. And literally sat up in bed and went, They heard no. And instantly, they knew it was the Lord. They knew what it was about. They knew exactly what God was saying to them and why. And this person was so, so wanting what they were praying for. 
they were determined to manipulate any circumstances at all and engineer things to get what they wanted, regardless of what God had said. And this spiritual, godly Christian told me three or four years I suffered the consequences in my life because I went against what I knew was the will of God. Maybe there's a lesson there for us all. Do we want to know God's will? Maybe more importantly, when we know God's will, do we want to do it? Sometimes we can balk at it and go, oh, you want me to do what, Lord? It takes courage, doesn't it, sometimes to step out and, and trust in the Lord and follow. Well, there's a donkey on the screen, isn't there? <laughs> Let me just find my place. Balaam now is going to make his journey back to King Balak with the intention to curse the people. And he's going to journey there on a donkey. God said, no, tough, I'm going. God told me, no, don't bless them, don't curse them. I've blessed them, tough, I'm I want to go and curse them. I want to be rich and famous and the savior of these people. I want to be honored by the king. I want all the prestige. I'm going to go and do it. And he will line my pockets handsomely when I save King Balak and his people. And so off he goes on this donkey. And the donkey sees ahead of him the angel of the Lord. And the donkey sits down in fear. And Balak, sorry, Balaam, beats the donkey. And the donkey goes along its journey a bit further. And now they're going through vineyards on a narrow path. And the donkey sees ahead the angel of the Lord stood in front of them. And the donkey swerves to the side and crushes Balaam's foot up against the wall. Balaam, a second time, he beats the donkey. And a third time. And now they're on a really narrow little path. A bit like poor Amy stood between two guitarists this morning. No room to move to either side. Couldn't go backwards. Just stuck in the middle. Not between two old men, but between two old walls. I'm one as well, so I can say it. And the donkey just sits down. Nowhere to go. Balaam the third time beats the donkey. Now, the Lord opens the mouth of the donkey. The donkey speaks to Balaam in a human voice. That's right, Thomas. Big eyes all around. You heard me right. And he goes, hey, I'm your donkey. I've always taken you wherever you want to go and been faithful to you. What are you doing this for? And, and, and maybe more bizarrely, Balaam answers. He goes, if I had a sword, I'd kill you now. He says, you've embarrassed me these three times and humiliated me, you stupid animal. And the Lord opens Balaam's eyes to see what the donkey has seen. The angel of the Lord. The Lord himself blocking the path. Isn't it funny? Stuart was telling me about the sense of humor of God. Isn't it funny how the man who can see things and hear things and know things cannot see when the Lord is stood bang in front of them? And isn't it funny that the most stubborn animal in all of the earth, he has the foresight to see what this man with powers cannot see. God intervenes in this man's life in an incredible way. The Lord says to him, 
I'm here to oppose you. I'm here to oppose you. You're walking a reckless path and a destructive path, and I'm here to oppose you. And Balaam says, I've sinned. Ah, you see, he is a good man after all. He says, I've sinned. He's acknowledging his wrongdoing. Some Bible commentators suggest, you know, the word sinned, it's got the thought of like an arrow missing the target if you're an archer. Maybe he's just going, hey, I've just I've missed the mark here. I've just, I've just taken the wrong path. You know, maybe he's just trying to make excuses. He's not really owning that he's a sinner here. And he says, if, uh, if I've displeased you, then I'll turn around. Hey, if you were there, you'd have been like tapping him on the shoulder. Balaam. If, if I've displeased, if Balaam, come off it, you know, God's told you already, enough is enough, don't do it, and you're still going on this path, and three times he's stood in front of you, and he's, he's now saying, I'm opposing your destructive path, and he goes, well, if, you know, if you're not happy about it, then maybe I'll, I'll turn you the way. This was a man, and maybe this is where the expression comes from hell-bent on going his own way. God's will, don't care, don't want to know. I'm doing my thing. And so he pushes on. God permits him again. He says, but when you go to King Balak, you will only speak the words that I put into your mouth. Question for us then, in light of the donkey, talking to Balaam, and maybe it'll be on a screen, I think, are our eyes and are our ears open to see what the Lord is saying to us? Might not be anything massive, you know. Might be something really small, and we've got it on the screen here, Elijah. Remember when he was looking for the voice of God, and ah, the wind that smashes up the rocks. He'll speak to me through those, and he's, he's looking, and, and nothing comes, and well, the fire, and the... Hey, and it was just the still, small voice. And that's just what it was. And God was speaking to him in that way. And you know, maybe on a Monday morning, Deborah sits with a coffee in, in the little blue chair that we, our home group group call it Martha's throne. She sits on Martha's throne and does her daily readings and Thomas is playing on his iPad and Grace is straightening her hair. And just in those quiet moments for her while the rest of the house is chaos, there comes the still small voice, just in your daily reading plan, or on your Bible app, or on your walk. Just notice Bob and I at the front, just lovely to see you. And the Lord sometimes just, when we're not looking for it, not expecting it, he just gives us a little something. Are we listening for the voice of God? It doesn't always have to be the great big things in life. You know, are we spending time in prayer, young ones especially, are we praying? Praying's really, really hard. We don't know what to say sometimes. We feel we've got to use the right special language. Don't worry about it. Talk to God how you would talk to anybody. Just be nice and tell him what you feel and tell him what's in your heart. Speak to him. He loves to hear you. You won't get it wrong. Just pray. Be honest. Be real with God. And read the Bible. Just a verse. Two verses. Just read something that speaks to you. And let's be looking for the Lord. Our eyes and our ears, our hearts open to hear God. Well, that's Balaam's journey. And he gets to Balak. And then the second part of our, our sermon really is, is chapter 23 and chapter 24. And we've got these four prophecies of Balaam. 
Now, do me a little favor. This is really unorthodox. A bit cheesy, but hey, I work in corporate, so I can get away with cheesy sometimes. Just stand up for a second, everybody. Just, if you can, if you're able to, just stand up. Because we've had a long sermon, right? And, and we've gone through a lot of stuff, and I'm conscious. I just have a little stretch. And if you want to have a little wiggle and shake off, right. And now you can sit back down again, because there's a lot to get through. And I'm conscious that you've been sitting really well, and there's, there's little ones in the room also. And you've all had to take on board a talking donkey and the preacher. Not the same thing. Please don't get them mixed up. <laughs> Four prophecies, and we're going to rattle through them quickly and lift out some practical points again from them. So the first one will be coming up on your screen. We didn't have time to read them all, but the references are there. If you want to take a note or take a picture, you can read them at your own time. So, so King Balak, when Balaam arrives there, he takes him up onto a mountain the next morning, and he looks down over the Israelites with Balaam, and he makes altars, and they sacrifice to the Lord. Again, I think a pretense on the part of Balaam to try and be this God-fearing man. I don't think that was the case at all. And he looks down in this first prophecy, and he sees all of the Israelites, or he sees part of the Israelites, and some of the things that he says here are incredible. And near the, the, the middle there, you'll see, just below the middle, I see people who live apart, and they don't consider themselves to be one of the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, or even uh, number a fourth of Israel? So now I'm looking at these people and they are separate and they are distinct and they are different and they're not like all the nations around them. They are different. And he says, the dust that they produce, these millions of people when they move, the dust must have been incredible, like a storm of sand as this mass of people was literally moving on an exodus through the wilderness. He says, who can even count quarter of these people? They're incredible. They are distinct and they are different. Separate people. Now, here's the, the practical application for us today as a church. The Lord Jesus speaks, particularly in John's gospel, about Christians that we are we are in the world, but we are not part of the world. So, so, so we live here on planet Earth, and we co-inhabit with everybody else on Earth in the same way that everyone does. But it says that we're not to be of the world. That that means really our citizenship, our where we belong, isn't really here. If we're Christians. The best is yet to come, right? We're looking for it. Amen. We're looking for that promise to be with the Lord Jesus. The Bible says we'll see him and we'll be like him. We'll be with him. He'll be the one in the midst who receives praise and worship. The best for us is yet to come. We don't belong here. And I speak to my heart more than anybody's here now. All the stuff that we cling to down here, why do we bother? when everything that is precious to us is held in the hands of Jesus in heaven. What a challenge for me as I read these verses. These people were separate and distinct and different. Now, some people go the other way with this and they go uber religious and they lock themselves away and well, we can't be involved in anything with anybody and we, you know, we can't do anything that, hey, we have to be those Lights, remember, the salt and the light and the earth. We're to live amongst everybody else as best we can and show out the Lord Jesus. This first prophecy then, amazing words from this godless man. I see a people who are separate and blessed, set apart by God. Second prophecy, he, he, he talks here of an unchanging God. Balaam says to, to Balak, he says, look, do you think that God is human? That, that he can tell lies or that he can change his mind? This is the man who didn't want to go, by the way, and do what God wanted. He wanted to do his own thing, and yet 
God loosens his tongue and he speaks and says, this God of heaven, he'll never curse these people. He cannot lie. He's covenanted to them forever and forever and forever. They're his and he cannot change his mind. He's God. We cannot toy with the God of heaven. He says there is no misfortune in Jacob. Other translations might say there's no iniquity, there's no sin found in them. And interesting in these four prophecies of Balaam, as he looks down from these mountaintops over the people, he never mentions their sins. We often do when we preach and we go through, we go, ah, oh, they messed up here and they messed up here. We do that to learn the lessons, don't we? It's not that we're standing in judgment. We all do it all the time. Good to learn lessons from others so we don't make that same mistake ourselves. He never mentions their sins. And I think here as he looks down on these people and he speaks about an unchanging God, he's thinking of these people and he's looking at them how God looks at them. He's seeing them through the eyes of God. There's no iniquity in them. There's no misfortune going to befall them. Here's a little pickup if you need it this morning. Do you see yourself how God sees you? There'll be people in this room for certain, maybe I'm one of them at times, maybe you're one of them at times, maybe it's you today. And maybe you feel absolutely despondent. I'm the worst Christian in the room. And I struggle to even open the pages of my Bible. Where is my Bible? I can't even find it this week. Where, where did I last have my Bible? And I can't even utter two words of thanks in prayer because I just want to watch YouTube, unboxing videos. Maybe you feel downcast in your heart. Everyone else is getting on fine here. And, and, and you know, Daniel and Rachel, they lead us in worship and they're just doing great and I'm here struggling and, and Claire and, and the others and Louise are doing Sunday school and they're just getting on great and I'm here struggling. And maybe you just feel absolutely useless. But do you see yourself how God sees you? Because as Balaam looked down on these people, he says there's going to be no iniquity in them. There's no wrongdoing in them. There's no sin in them. They are God's special blessed people. I wonder, do we see ourselves through heaven's lens today? We're not defeated Christians. We're not done with sin. It's not finishing us. It can't take away from us all the blessings of Jesus. We need to see ourselves as God sees us. In spite of how we feel, as Rob's been saying as we took communion together, how we feel doesn't really come into it. The fact is, if you're in Jesus, you're seen by God as in Christ. Perfect, spotless, forgiven, free, with liberty from, from sin and freedom from it. The chains have been snapped. And if you're struggling today, which many of us will be, grasp this. God sees you in Jesus, not for your sins and your failures. You are forgiven. Amen. The third prophecy, we're rattling on, I'm nearly finished. Stay with me. He sees these people as beautiful people. It must have been some sight to look down, and I wonder what it would have looked like, but he says, how beautiful are your tents? I've never personally looked at a tent and thought, beautiful. I'll be honest, even a the caravan makes me feel a little bit sick. <laughs> tents, well, they're beautiful. He says of these people in the first prophecy, they're separate and distinct and they're God's special people. The second one, he says, look how God sees them. Look how God views them. And in this third one, he says, they're beautiful people. They're like waters. 
They're like gardens planted by waters. They're like valleys that are spreading out. They're like gardens planted by a river. The cedars by the water and aloes planted by the Lord himself. He's saying these people are alive and they're vibrant and they're beautiful and, and there's a fragrance coming from them. They're like a watered garden. They're great people. And maybe they stood in contrast to all of the desert all around them. He's saying these people are vibrant and they're full of vigor and of life. Empowered by the Lord. Now Isaiah 58 speaks, doesn't it, about a very similar thing. A watered garden. Are we bringing out fruit in our lives? The Holy Spirit, seen in the Bible often as water, is he empowering us? Are we allowing him to work in our lives? Are we bringing fruit for God? Do our lives bring him praise? There's a challenge. And the fourth and the final prophecy we're definitely not going to have time to look at Balaam in the New Testament. Don't worry. The fourth and the final prophecy. This is a messianic prophecy. Now, you'll, if you don't know messianic, I used to hate it as a kid going all, and people used all the silly big words and I never had a clue. Messianic, it means Messiah. So it's about the Messiah, messianic. And the Messiah is Jesus. So it's about Jesus. The prophecy is messianic. It's about the Lord Jesus. These are great words from this man, Balaam. And now look what he says. He says, the, one, the, eye, the, 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 the prophecy of one whose eyes see clearly and one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty. And notice his response is that he falls down on the ground he says, my eyes are opened. And these are great words. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. See him. Did God give to Balaam a vision of the coming Messiah, Jesus I see him, he said, but not now. The Lord Jesus wasn't going to come right there and then to Israel. It wasn't time. It wasn't God's plan or his purpose that the Lord Jesus would come yet. I see him, but not now. He's coming in the future. Now, we know, don't we, that we can look back and say he's already been. But he is coming again, and I think maybe this prophecy maybe speaks to that coming again of the Lord Jesus. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Now, I struggle with this a little bit. I behold him, but not near. I wondered if this was Balaam acknowledging his wrongdoing. I behold this one, but I'm not near him. Maybe... Maybe, tell me if I'm wrong after, maybe Balaam was speaking here of his own downfall. I'm not near him. I wouldn't have him. I turned my back on him. I went away from him. I'm not near. We'll come back to that in a minute. And then he says, a star will come out of, of Jacob. A star will come out of Jacob. Well, a star would speak to us of the imperial greatness, wouldn't it, of Jesus. This wonderful one called in the book of Revelation, the bright 
and the morning star, this dazzling, shining light that would rise from these people, from that very nation. And then he speaks about a scepter. Now, a scepter is what a king or a queen would hold, like a, like a stick, maybe with like a jewel on the end or some gold or something. And that would be like, it signifies that they reign and they rule, they have authority. Balaam is seeing here one that would rise as a bright star and illuminate Israel and who would reign and who will rule with authority and righteousness. Jesus all the way. Now as we wrap things up in this next minute or two, think about this prophecy relating to the Lord Jesus. I behold him, but not near. The Bible tells us that we are to call upon the Lord while he is near. I wonder if there's someone in the room today and you have never called upon the name of the Lord. If you've never been dazzled by that star that is Jesus. Call upon him while he is near. Seek him while you can. Now he is near. We thought last Sunday Stuart was talking to us about that one who walks amongst the church. I believe he's not just near but here today. Jesus is in our midst, the Bible teaches us. And the Bible also says he is not far from any one of us. And in him we live and move and have our being. It would be amazing today if all these years later, this godless man, Balaam, if God would take up his words once again and bring conviction. Maybe there's someone here today and you're just close, but not quite. He is near. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He bore the filth of what I should have owned on the cross, the horror, the crucifixion, the guilt that is mine, he took, he owned it, he bore it away, he bled for me and died for me, for you, for all of our sins. He came under the condemnation of God, holiness and justice meeting, and the price of sin being paid in full by a perfect savior. Call upon him while he's near. He lovingly calls us to him in repentance, to turn from our sins and to trust him. Well, you've listened amazingly well. I'm sorry I've spoken for a few minutes longer than I thought, but the Israelites are nearly there. Opposition from this man, Balaam. Let's take some of those lessons that we learned from him, but let's think of these prophecies and think of that last one in particular, the star and the scepter, the one that he saw, but not yet, and the one that he beheld, but not near. Make sure today, if you never have before, do business with God. Make sure you are near. Make sure you've trusted in Jesus Christ. God bless you.